It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Good to be back. Loved Summerfest. Thanks to everybody's hospitality. Always nice to be back in the studio. All right. Lots of stuff going on in the world, but this is from the Milwaukee Brewers. Two minutes ago, they have released, they're not releasing the number of votes, but of course, there's everybody knows what's going on now. There is the opportunity to send Jesus Aguiar, who, in my opinion, is probably the most valuable player on the Brewers this year. He was not originally selected for the All-Star game, but the fans have a chance to vote him in. He will be one of five potential people um, that is selected. There's five candidates. The Brewers just announced the results of the voting thus far. Now, the voting goes another 27 hours. I believe it's 3 o'clock our time tomorrow where it cuts off. But as of now, we don't have the vote totals. Jesus Aguiar, he's number one. He is number one in fan voting. Brandon Belt, number two. Max Muncy, number three. Trey Turner, number four. Matt Carpenter, number five. We don't know how close, though, the difference is between one and two or, or one and five. So it means it's so important for people to get out and vote. This would be incredibly cool because the reality is the Brewers have the most wins in the National League. And there's a significant number of those wins that you don't have Jesus Aguiar, who hasn't even been a starter for the entire season. You don't have Jesus Aguiar. You don't have a lot of those wins. So we'll be talking over the course of the next couple hours and the next 27 hours about ways that you can participate and you can vote. But if you are a Brewers fan, uh, and if you're not, you're really missing the boat um, this season in particular. Jesus Aguiar, he is leading leading the five potential choices to be the final member of the All-Star team. I think if you want to look at an outrage, the outrage is that he wasn't selected along with Josh Hader and Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain. He shouldn't have to be voted in, but now that he's on that list, I think Brewers Nation needs to get together and vote him in. He is leading right now, but people should not take anything for granted. All right, we have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. We are going to talk in about 20 minutes about the president's choice um, for the Supreme Court to replace Anthony Kennedy. I have some strong feelings about the nomination. Um, We're not going to start off the program with it, though, because... Well, in part, I suspect that perhaps every talk show host in America is starting with that topic. We will get to it in about 20 minutes, though. I want to start with some breaking news this morning. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, and if you don't, um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, renewing my effort to put out a lot of tweets, at least three or four a day. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. But the breaking news in the last hour or so, also a story sort of from the world of sports, is that the NFL Players Association has decided to file a grievance against the National Football League over the league's new policy towards the National Anthem. Now, let's review the bidding for a minute. I think everybody knows the story. The problems go back two years ago when um, Colin Kaepernick of the San Francisco 49ers decided that he was going to use the fact that he played for the 49ers to engage in, in some sort of protest by kneeling during the national anthem. Okay? It was really just Kaepernick, but the NFL players did nothing to stop this. The the NFL owners did nothing to stop this. And so during last year's season, you had an explosion of various players who decided to protest. Now, nobody knows for sure what they were protesting. They weren't all protesting the same time, same things. Some were protesting, taking a knee to support the Black Lives Matter movement. Others were, you know, uh, protesting various aspects of foreign policy. It was all over the map. 
but it was very, very divisive. There's no question about it. And they were doing it on the sidelines. NFL ratings were down last year. I think it got the attention of the owners. And one of the variety of reasons, one of the various reasons, where I think a lot of people looked at this and said, look, you know, when, when we go to a football game or when we turn on the football game on television or we go to a basketball game or we go to a baseball game, we want to escape. You know, we, we don't want to have protests thrown in our face. My position has always been if the players want to protest, go with God. That, that's fine. But you do it on your own time. You, you don't do it when you are at work on the sidelines, you know, standing in uniform. If on a day off on Tuesday, you know, you want to get a bunch of your buddies together and you want to go down and you want to march outside City Hall complaining about this issue or that issue, that's fine. Nobody has an issue with that. But I thought the NFL owner should have done something to address this uh, two summers ago. They, they didn't. So this summer, they have come up with what I think is a reasonable compromise rule. The rule says if you are in uniform and on the field and on the sidelines when the national anthem is played, you stand up. No protests during the national anthem. If you don't want to participate, if for whatever reason you don't feel that you can stand during the national anthem because you're so upset with this issue or that issue that's going on in the country, okay, fine, stay in the tunnel. Stay back in the locker room. Don't come out. You know, if you don't want to stand up, okay, fine, but just stay off the field. I thought that was a reasonable compromise. Now, it didn't make some people happy. Some of the players were unhappy saying, well, it's infringing on our First Amendment rights, and and some of the fans weren't happy with that because they said, look, if these overpaid NFL players, you know, want to enjoy all the benefits and the freedoms you have from living in this country and working in this country, you should get your sorry butts out there and show some respect towards the flag. Okay, this is a compromise, and, and I thought it was a reasonable compromise. But as I say in my tweet, again, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 in an effort, I think, to kill the goose that lays the golden eggs, the NFL Players Association has, as of this morning, filed a legal grievance with the NFL over this new policy. Um, what the players say is essentially that this is going to, you know, deprive us of our First Amendment rights to engage in protest. This was not something we agreed to, and they should not be able to unilaterally do this. Whether they should unilaterally be able to do it or not, it seems to me that what the NFL owners did was in the very best interest of the game. And by challenging this, I think the NFL players are hurting themselves, big picture. Yeah, you let somebody go out and take a knee and protest, but every time they do that, it turns off more and more of the average fans who, by the way, at the end of the day, are the ones who pay the salaries of the NFL players, either directly or indirectly by watching the games on TV. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think to file a grievance challenging this this change in policy that says you don't have to stand, but if you're not going to stand, you stay back in the locker room until after the anthem. I think it is insanity 
for the NFL players to file a grievance in this regard. 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At the end of the day, by pursuing this issue, I think the players are hurting themselves, they're hurting the team, and they're hurting the game. 414-799-1620, and uh, this is one where, I, again, I don't know how an arbitrator is going to rule on this, but this is one where the NFL Players Association, if they saw the big picture, I think they should be on board because players kneeling on the sidelines is going to turn off more and more casual fans. My guess is some of you have been turned off over what happened last year, and you're not sure whether you're going back or not. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1217. This is Jeff Wagner. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ and your Milwaukee Brewers are teaming up to get Jesus Aguiar into the 2018 MLB All-Star Game. As they just announced, he is currently the leading vote-getter in the National League. Text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. We'll send you a link to the voting ballot. Plus, if you text us a picture or a screen cap of you voting for Jesus, you'll be automatically entered for a chance to win the grand prize. Four tickets to a game, the chance to watch batting practice, and you get to meet Jesus himself. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. As I said in a tweet that I sent out just a little while ago. To me, this is what the NFL players are doing is figuratively speaking, cutting their own throats. They are killing the goose that laid the golden egg. NFL owners trying to deal with the firestorm that erupted after some of these NFL players decided they were going to use the game itself to protest, you know, whatever they're protesting on the sidelines said, okay, fine. We're trying to reach an accommodation. You don't have to stand for the national anthem, but if you're not going to do that, stay back in the tunnel. Okay, I thought that was reasonable. They have, the union has now filed a grievance today. Whatever the merits, whether they win in front of an arbitrator or not, I don't know. But how stupid, how stupid to do this. Don't you realize, if you are a player, the fact that this behavior is turning off the casual fans who are the ones that pay your salary. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tom in New Berlin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, I just Tom. wanted to let you know that if I was a season ticket holder, I would actually boycott the game and get a, get a bunch of people over there. And if if they if they can't go and, and stand to the national anthem and realize that they're getting paid by the fans, then they don't deserve to get paid either. That's, that, that's wrong in my thing because we were taught as, as kids to always put your you know your yeah. arm over your heart and, and you take off your stuff. hat when they play the, yeah, you take absolutely. off your hat you stand up absolutely yeah no there's no reason for that no no thanks for call. right thanks and yeah. again i mean look and i look i i i you're talking to somebody who makes his living under the umbrella of the first amendment that that that's not that's not the issue i think businesses have the right to make work rules and and what you have here is a balancing between the, the right of an employee, and that's what these NFL players are. They are employees. Their rights to protest and the, the right of the owners to establish rules that aren't going to hurt the business. And these protests, at the end of the day, are hurting the business. The NFL players, uh, the owners know that. So they're trying to work out a balancing. This, I think, is an extremely reasonable balancing. But again, uh, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're gonna, we are going to try to kill the goose that is laying the golden eggs. Lynn, um, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Lynn. Hi. 
And some of the players would say, we don't intend this to be disrespect to the veterans. We don't intend this to be disrespected. But but regardless of what they intend, that is how a large or at least a significant percentage of people take it. That's how they interpret it. And so that's what the NFL is trying to balance out. You know, let, no, let, no, no. You do not protest during the national anthem, much less when you're on the clock for yeah. your employment, employer, right. period. Right. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. And that's like I say, if you want to protest, okay, go down on your day off, go down on Tuesdays, go down during the off season, do whatever you want. But the only reason they're getting the attention is because they do it on the sidelines at the NFL games when they are effectively on the clock. Um, Hello, uh, how about doing something for the common good on your time off <laughs> after uh, the Super Bowl? Why don't you go out there in your community and, you know, right. do something good? Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks for call. Right. Exactly. Go go build homes for Habitat for Humanity or whatever. Gary in Greenfield. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Thank you, Jeff. Hi, Gary. Uh, yes. United States Coast Guard veteran. Also, I'm just thinking about the personal conduct of these players. Good to see uh, a few owners are saying, look, you're on the payroll you respect the American flag, the flag that many men and women gave their life for. That's what the red is in the red, white, and blue. Can't understand why this is such a major issue for those few minutes to honor those. I wish a few of these players would go down to the honor flight program uh, when they come back from Washington, D.C., and, and, and see these veterans, yeah. that men and women veterans that are still with us, thank goodness, and and the honor that's shown during that time, hard to believe, big Packer fan, big NFL fan, but this is really, really turning me off. No, it is, Gary. Thanks, Scott. Again, some of the players would say, Gary, that's not what we mean by our protest. We're protesting because we want more aid for Puerto Rico, or we're protesting for Black Lives Matter. But But that is not the way these protests are interpreted by, I think, many, many people. And that's why the NFL is trying to come out with its balancing this is a reasonable balance because, look, here, here's the reality. I'm getting a couple texts saying, well, this doesn't matter one way or the other. I'm still going to watch the Packers. Yes, and and that that's true. Okay, we're Packers fans. Packers Nation will respond. But, but this is turning off the casual football fan. This is turning off the fan that doesn't have – you know, a huge interest in, you know, one team or another. you got a favorite team or whatever. It's turning them off. And that's where the big numbers come in. Because, yes, Packers fans will watch the Packers in droves. But let's face it, if it's the Los Angeles Rams playing the, you know, whoever, all right, that, that you're not going to get necessarily the – the people saying, okay, I'm going to watch this. And those are the people that are starting to get alienated. Uh, again, does the union have a right to file a grievance? Sure it does. Might they succeed with its grievance? Maybe. But I'm telling you, this is an example where if they win, they lose. And it is amazing to me how short-sighted these people are, these people being the union representatives and the unions, it's doing it. They don't realize that they are literally literally killing themselves by trying to do something like this. All right, at least financially they're killing themselves. It's 1227. 
When we come back, I will share my thoughts on President Trump's appointment yesterday to the U.S. Supreme Court and the over-the-top reaction that we saw yesterday. Stick around, 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Did you see the story from over the weekend? 15-year-old girl tried to set a squad car on fire. If you want to understand how absolutely out of control the city of Milwaukee is, but there's probably lots of different things you can point to, but but here's one. A 15-year-old girl tried to set a police squad car on fire Saturday night, according to the Milwaukee Police Department. Officers were inside a home near the 5300 block of North Long Island Drive on an assignment. So the, the cops are answering some call when the girl tried to start the car on fire. Around 10.15 p.m., neighbors saw smoke coming from the vehicle, called 911. The 15-year-old girl was taken into custody. No people were injured, and the vehicle sustained minor damage to the rear wheels. The release said the investigation is ongoing. Okay, so it's a Saturday night. You have the police that are answering some call, and what happens in the city of Milwaukee? You've got 15-year-old girls, and and I guess that's... I'm not surprised it's girl versus a boy. I mean, you just have out-of-control 15-year-olds who decide to set a squad car on fire. What do you want to guess? That this was not the 15-year-old girl's first time at the rodeo. I mean, maybe, again, maybe this is the day you wake up and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to be out on the street at 1030 at night, and I'm going to see a squad car, and I'm going to set it on fire. Won't that be fun? My guess is... Probably a lengthy, lengthy, lengthy history of contacts with the juvenile so-called justice or injustice system and out on the streets. All right. During the previous presidential election, one of the very, very compelling arguments that Republican voters made was with regard to President Trump. You know, who do you want filling vacancies on the U.S. Supreme Court? Do you want it to be President Trump or do you want it to be Hillary Clinton? And one of the concerns that some of us, and by the way, I'm, I'm raising my hand here. One of the concerns that some of us had was that looking back on on his track record on issues, how could you be sure that President Trump was, in fact, going to appoint the type of judges that mainstream Republicans and conservative voters would feel comfortable with? That was one of the, the concerns. Um, I, I think he, President Trump, allied a lot of that when he uh, came up and appointed Neil Gorsuch last year. So now you've got Judge Justice Anthony Kennedy who retires. Kennedy was, of course, one of the swing votes. And so the question becomes, you know, who is going to replace him? There were a number of a very, very strong candidates that, that were out there um, that were, you know, possible, you know, choices that were there. One of the criteria, I think, is they want somebody who's going to be relatively young. Um, as I said earlier, I, I thought I would be surprised if you saw anybody older than 52 or 53, because if you're a president, you know, that's your legacy. I mean, laws can be undone. Executive orders can be rolled back. But, you know, federal judges serve for the lifetime. And so, you know, if you're the president, you know, you, you find somebody in their 40s or in their 50s, they could conceivably serve for like 30 plus years on the Supreme Court. That's where your legacy is. So President Trump was considering a number of people. Last night, with much fanfare, he made the announcement. As an aside, if you want to understand 
just the incredible bias in the mainstream media. He hadn't even announced his appointment. And, and this was the promo that they did on, on for ABC's Nightline um, tonight on Nightline at Terry Moran reports on the controversial Supreme Court justice pick and the possible implications for the country. So even before the president said who the appointment was going to be, ABC News is already saying, well, it's controversial. Right? Let me put it like this. In the real world, there is nothing at all controversial about the person that President Trump nominated. He, of course, as people know by now, uh, nominated Brett Kavanaugh. Um, Judge Kavanaugh is, if you were going to, now again, President Trump is going to find a conservative judge to appoint, just like Bill Clinton or Barack Obama is going to go find a liberal judge to appoint. So, but the question becomes, are they out of the mainstream? Are they fringe candidates? And, and Brett Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh, has, if you were going to go and go and say, okay, what sort of, let's go through the mental checklist for the type of Supreme Court justice you would expect a Republican president to appoint. I will tell you, if there's 20 different categories, this man hits all 20. If you haven't been following it, I mean, here's the deal. He's 53 years old, Yale undergraduate, Yale Law School, impeccable credentials. He clerked for Justice Kennedy. So he was a Supreme Court clerk. Let me just tell you a little bit about law. If, if you if you have an opportunity, it, it is only the best and the brightest who get the chance to clerk for Supreme Court justices. He clerked for a Supreme Court justice. He worked in the White House during the Bush administration. He was part of the legal counsel for, for George W. Bush. Actually, one of the things that I think some people were concerned about, some of his advocates, was that because there's really no lost love lost between President Trump and the, the Bush family. The fact that uh, Judge Kavanaugh worked, you know, as a legal counsel for the Bush administration, that might that might hurt him. Uh, before that, he worked as a lawyer for Ken Starr. So he was involved, you know, in a special counsel's office. So he has that experience. He was elevated to the uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals in 2006. And next to the Supreme Court, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is often viewed as the second most important court in in the country. Now, you might say, why is that, Jeff? All of, you know, there's there's what twelve or thirteen appellate courts all across the country. Why is one more significant? Well, it it is to an extent because it's the D.C. Court of Appeals that hears a lot of the litigation involving the federal government. So because the government is centered D.C., that's where a lot of the lawsuits get filed. So you have a chance to handle. I don't want to say more significant cases, but you have a chance to handle lots of cases involving activities by the government. It is generally highly respected. Um, in his time on the D.C. Circuit, the D.C. Uh, appellate court, he has authored, authored more than 300 opinions. And this is one of the things that I think is really important in trying to judge a, a judge. Um, you, you, for elevation. You want to look at their opinions. Um, if you look at some of, I think, the biggest disappointments, um, particularly on the Supreme Court, and, and I keep thinking David Souter is, is one of those, it's, it's people who make these decisions, who, um, who come with a limited sort of track record. So you don't, you know, they, they can tell you where they might stand, 
but you don't really know for sure. Well, I mean, in this particular case, you know, Judge Kavanaugh has a lengthy, you know, history of, of opinions. You can see the way the guy thinks. You can see the way he approaches legal issues. And I understand that you're going to have some people who are going to be trying to break down the opinions and find this sentence or that sentence. But this, the fact of the matter is, this is an extremely bright he man. He is not an ideologue. If you read a number of his opinions, what you get, it's a sense of a person who believes dearly in separation of powers. In other words, he believes that, you know, the, 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 the executive branch has a role. He believes the legislative branch has a role and he believes that the courts have a role. If you're looking for a super activist judge who's going to say, well, I know what the law says, but I don't like that particular law, that this is not your, your guy. Um, I, I don't think if, if you're, you know, a hardcore pro-life voter, I, I don't think there's necessarily anything in this record that suggests he's going to overturn Roe versus Wade in his entirety. And that's what the scare tactic the left is coming out on. Oh, he's going to overturn that. I don't think that's likely. This is a mainstream conservative candidate with impeccable credentials. And at least in my opinion, he should be confirmed right away. And I think he will be. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think this was a second home run by President Trump. And you can, uh, again, for for whatever issues you might want to have with President Trump and his tweets and his temperament, I I think um, this is one where he he really got it right. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Franny in Muskego text. Jeff, even if he was the worst pick, you would still call him the best. Keep supporting this arrogant president. That's from Franny. Again, it's what, what Franny is that sounds like to me the type of lady that would have been one of these people out with the kooks on the steps of the Supreme Court yesterday within minutes of the president announcing his decision. All right, you, you have one of these like kook left wing groups that's out there, um, democracy for America. So, I mean, they, they just, they just descend. They were ready for the announcement. And it was kind of funny. I was looking at some reports. They had like signs that were, were set for all the different potential candidates. It didn't matter who the candidate was. We're going to run out and we're going to protest. So this is one of the things. Now, again, the, the, the choice of, uh, of Brett Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh is a mainstream conservative judge. I mean, four uh, with over 300 opinions written as an appellate court judge. He is he conservative? Yes. Is he out there? No. He's a mainstream conservative judge. And I think certainly no further to the right than Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Justice Santamayor are on, on the left, maybe actually closer to the middle than that. But within minutes of President Trump announcing this, you have people that are descending on on the steps of the Supreme Court going, um, let's see, what are some of the signs? They're calling him a reactionary ideologue whose confirmation will directly lead to the deaths of countless women with the dismantling of abortion rights. 
Here's a statement. The Women Mar- Women's March says, Trump's announcement today is a death sentence for thousands of women in the United States. Do these people seriously believe this? Or are we so far through the looking glass that we've completely lost any sort of touch with reality? This is going to directly lead to the deaths of hundreds or thousands of women. I mean, it, it's you, you kind of look at this and you say it is impossible. It is just absolutely impossible to take anybody seriously who would argue something like this, especially for a guy who's been on the appellate court bench for the better part of, what, a dozen years or so, has 300 opinions written, and this is somebody that's going to lead directly to the deaths of thousands of women. Either these groups are doing it to incite people and to raise money, or they're a bunch of kooks, and there's no way around this. There's no middle ground. Jerry on the south side. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Knowing Donald Trump's history, knowing how he had Trump University, knowing his past scams, he picked a guy who said that a president shouldn't be investigated while a sitting president. And a president who was basically above the law, the president who cannot be indicted by a grand jury. I don't think Kavanaugh was quid pro quo. Kavanaugh, yeah, I'm sure, is an honorable man. But looking at Donald Trump, who's never been an honorable man, I believe he picked him in large part because he wanted someone who would vote to not uh, to ensure that he wasn't investigated. Yeah, but That's of course the flip side. But of course the flip side of that is this is a guy who worked for Ken Starr in the investigation of uh, Bill Clinton. Well, you know, <laughs> I know. I mean, I, 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 I just, I, I, I just say that, right? And, and you're correct. He, he has, he has written things in the past talking about, you know, his his belief on the limitations of what you can do to sitting presidents. But the flip side is it's a guy who worked for Ken Starr, you know, in, in that investigation. Uh, I guess, I, I mean, no, I, and I, I appreciate you, Jerry, saying you don't think it's a quid pro quo. I, 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 I get that. Um, I, I think, again, the, the reality is, as we say this a lot on this show, elections do matter. I understand when, when Barack Obama you know, one and the Democrats controlled the Senate. You know, the type of appointment that you were going to get coming from Barack Obama was not going to be a, a middle of the road type of appointment. It was going to be of the Justice Santamayor, you know, categories. That's what he was going to be looking for. Not an leftist ideologue, but somebody clearly to the left of the political spectrum. President Trump, you, you got to expect the, the same sort of thing. I, I'm just, I'm just telling you, Brett, just, Judge Kavanaugh is not a reactionary ideologue, and I hope people are smart enough. I, I really do that when you hear some of this stuff that's out there, this is going to directly lead to the deaths of deaths of thousands of people. Oh my gosh, this is I, I've got a topic worked up a little bit later on. Some of the tweets coming out of the Hollywood elite, the celebrity. This is just the, it's 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 like it's Nazism. It's the the dictatorship. This type of stuff. This isn't. This isn't that. This is a mainstream conservative judge with impeccable credentials who, you know, is actually one of the stories I saw used the phrase kind of from central casting. He, he, you look at this guy's background, um, 
I understand maybe this drives the Freedom for Religion Foundation nuts, but, you know, he's a religious guy, got a wife, a couple kids. You know, he coaches his kids' soccer teams. You know, there's going to be an effort to demonize this man, but the truth is I hope when you're watching what's going to happen, and he's going to be confirmed. I mean, he's a mainstream conservative judge. He's going to be confirmed. The interesting thing is going to be whether or not a couple of the Democrats in states like uh, North Dakota and Montana and Missouri – um, who are up for re-election, whether or not in states that Trump carried, and in some cases carried big, whether or not they're going to be able to break with the party line and all the pressure that they're under from the hard kook left, and whether they're going to be in a position to be able to, you know, again, vote for somebody who will be a mainstream conservative justice. Don't know how that's going to all play out, but I'm telling you, this is this is a home run and for anybody, including, and my hand is up here, you know, people who were perhaps skeptical of the type of appointments that Donald Trump would make if he were elected president, um, he's come through, at least in my opinion, big time. Now we'll see where it goes from here. But I will be stunned, absolutely stunned, if Judge Kavanaugh isn't confirmed and he's not confirmed well before the November midterm elections. And you know what? He should be. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 12.57, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A lot of stuff coming up in the program. Do you know that the primary election is five weeks from today? I remember thinking, oh, it seems so far off, but uh, five weeks from today, the second Tuesday in August, we're scheduled to be joined by one of the Republican candidates, uh, Kevin Nicholson, scheduled to join us in about 10 minutes or so. In addition, I, I understand that back when... Paul Ryan, everybody thought Paul Ryan was going to run for re-election. Democrats were looking for a, a candidate that they could kind of prop up to be the, the face of the opposition to Paul Ryan. So they settled on this guy named Randy Bryce. The more we find out about Randy Bryce, the more you have to wonder, is this the really the best candidate that Wisconsin Democrats could come up with to run for the seat? Now, he's still raising a lot of national money, but at the same time, you know, there's baggage and then there's giant trunks of baggage that gets sent to Hawaii. That is Randy Bryce. We're going to be talking about that in just a little bit. If you want a head start on that, if you follow me on Twitter, um, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, you'll, you'll see some tweet, a tweet I sent out with a little bit of links to that. So that's all coming up in the next hour of the program, and we're going to have a little bit of fun. Stick around. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Uh, the Believe it or not, the primary elections for the partisan elections in November are coming up five weeks from today, August 14th. It seems like we've been talking about some of these races forever, and I thought it would be timely to check in with uh, one of the candidates whose name's been talked about a lot on this program and others, Kevin Nicholson, who is running for the U.S. Senate. When last we checked with Kevin, I think it was at Insight a couple months ago, now we're five weeks away, and we are joined by Republican U.S. Senate candidate Kevin Nicholson. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, um, yeah, some of the some of the news, uh, your campaign announcing today that you'd raised in the second quarter of 2018, you'd raised over a million dollars, which is the second consecutive quarter that you've done that. And you continue, if you believe polls, at least the public <laughs> polls, to maintain a, a slight lead over um, your opponent, Leah Vukmir. So good news on all fronts from your perspective, huh? 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we've done all this by keeping the focus directly on Tammy Baldwin. And I hope you see this, Jeff, and I hope that your listeners do as well, too. Look, when I'm talking, I'm talking about banging on Tammy Baldwin and her vision for the future of this country, which just simply doesn't work. It doesn't create more prosperity for the people of Wisconsin. It doesn't put more money back in their pockets through tax reform legislation. You know, Tammy Baldwin was one of the first senators to get on board with the Iran deal, which literally sent billions of dollars to a state sponsor of terror that was killing us in Iraq and Afghanistan, made it easier for them to get a nuclear weapon. Now, on the flip side, I know my primary opponent today uh, is launching attacks on me, telling people I used to be a Democrat, which, you know, no surprise there, Jeff. I've told you before, I, I did used to be a Democrat, and I'm happy to talk about that. There's a whole walk-away movement burgeoning right now in social media of people leaving the Democrat Party and reminding everybody, you know, that party simply doesn't deliver. Tammy Baldwin's never going to deliver. And by, by the way, if we're going to win not just this election in November, but win the future of the country, we need a whole lot more people to walk away from the Democrat Party and do so on the basis of conviction and an understanding that this country's founding principles apply to all of us. They basically say that our rights are given to us by God, that governments can't interfere with them, and that people should be free to go out and be successful. That's why I'm a conservative today, and I'm happy to share that message all the way through November against Tammy Baldwin. Well, Kevin, it's interesting. Since since you bring that, for people who might not be familiar with it, there's a, a super PAC backing um, Leah Vukmir that, that started running a new TV ad. The, the TV ad uses footage from a, a presentation you gave at the 2000 Democratic National Convention you know, 18 years ago, and the, the ad opens with a narrator saying that President Trump needs an ally he can trust in the U.S. Senate. That's not Kevin Nicholson. Let me, let me just start there. Um, will you be an ally to President Trump? 100%. And look, when it comes to his agenda, it, I want to remind everybody, it took an outsider from outside the political class to go there and accomplish all the things that he has done, whether we're talking about tax reform, we're talking about pressing down on Iran, on creating the opportunity that we now have in North Korea, on actually forcing the issue of dealing with illegal immigration in a way the political class is never willing to. And at the end of the day, I've got the endorsements of John Bolton, Ted Cruz, and Mike Lee. And by the way, Ted Cruz and Mike Lee, talk about two senators that are going to lead the fight to make sure that uh, we have the right kind of uh, Supreme Court justice and Brett Kavanaugh getting approved. Boy, that is that is meaningful, right? Because they understand I get the principles of the Constitution and there are two guys that were not uh, office holders before they were elected to the U.S. Senate, but two of the best problem solvers that are there today. So, I mean, look, we're going to continue doing what we're doing, which is keep our focus on beating Tammy Baldwin. If Leah Vukmir and her allies want to waste hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, lying in a primary, like, good luck. You know, our focus is not going to change. It's got to be on taking this message to the people of Wisconsin. And a big part of it for me is, yeah, I used to be a Democrat. <laughs> I share, I'll yell it from the mountaintops. And I figured out why it's so important to protect innocent life. I figured out why people should keep their resources and governments shouldn't waste it. I figured out in, the, in time of war myself and deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan why it's so important to invest strategically in defense so that wars don't start in the right place. And I'm sure as heck in the best position to call Tammy Baldwin to account for her nonsense with, 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 on multiple occasions, co-sponsoring legislation to forward a $10 billion a year Department of Peace. I mean, Jeff, you know this. We have a Department of Peace. It's called the Pentagon. And it's deployed Americans abroad to die in foreign shores to help secure liberty here and the world over in order to make sure we, we really do have a just and lasting peace. So it's insulting when professional politicians like Tammy Baldwin basically thumb their nose at that sacrifice by, by saying that we need a Department of Peace because the defense 
of our nation has not been apparently in good enough hands for her. We're talking to Republican uh, Senate candidate Kevin Nicholson. Kevin, uh, big news, of course, in the last 24 hours, President Trump comes out and announces that he wants to elevate Judge uh, Brett Kavanaugh from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to the U.S. Supreme Court. If you were in the U.S. Senate, based on what you know now, do you think it's a good choice? Would you vote for uh, the elevation of Judge Kavanaugh? I would vote for him, and I do believe it's a good choice. I think that if you read the body of work that he has produced, and I've not read all of it, but I've read some of it, and I've talked to uh, experts in the federal society and beyond who would all say that at the end of the day, this is a great conservative legal mind. He is an originalist and a textualist, much in the tradition of uh, Scalia and Thomas, and now as we're seeing uh, Gorsuch as well um, establish themselves. And, and really, at the end of the day, what does that mean? <laughs> it means that he is going to interpret law and the Constitution as it is written. He is not going to make up law from whole cloth. He is not going to invent things out of uh, the figments of his imagination and pretend that it's in the text. No, he's going to wait on the legislature to act and to provide laws that he can then adjudicate and look at and say, look, this is in the Constitution or it is not in the Constitution. This law may or may not stand. And that is what we want, because at the end of the day, we're all so high-strung about the Supreme Court because the left has used the courts to try and achieve the results they cannot achieve through popular will in the legislature. That is what has created this entire problem in the first place. Heck, if you're a progressive in Madison and you're fired up about uh, conservatives getting things done to help people, and you want to stop that, <laughs> your your fight should be between me and Tammy Baldwin in November, and you'll have a clear choice. If you want to, you know, keep the economy more bound, if you want to hold people back, if you want to deny people the opportunity to pursue their happiness, you can vote for Tammy Baldwin and against me. If you want to open up the economy, if you want to give people an opportunity to protect innocent life and move forward and create a, a nation where we can all work together regardless of what we look like, I'm your candidate, right? But that's where that choice should be. It should not be in terms of the Supreme Court. Conservative justices, like Brett Kavanaugh, are simply going to interpret law as written as they should do. Uh, we're talking to GOP Senate candidate Kevin Nicholson. Kevin, one, one of the, I think, hot-button issues that's been in the news for the last couple of weeks has to do with immigration, wrestling with what, what do you do when people come into this country illegally, seeking asylum, bringing their children with them, um, if what what do you see as the solution? What do we need to do to solve the the crisis, or at least the perceived crisis we're having down at the border? Sure. I, the, one of the first things we have to do is stop illegal immigration and stop sending signals to people that are living in other countries who may, in many ways, be trying to pursue a better life that they can come here illegally. We have to make it perfectly clear that we're going to put a block on southern uh, illegal immigration by building a wall, a fence, or obstacle, whatever you want to call it, but something that definitively and forever stops illegal immigration. Then, as the second part of the solution, we can put forward a uh, merit-based, economically sustainable uh, immigration plan that actually brings people here that want to be part of the fabric of this country. And then if they choose, after coming here legally, to pursue citizenship the right way, then they get an education about both the rights and the responsibilities of what it means to be a citizen or republic. Nothing I just said is crazy. But the political class, Channing Baldwin, chief amongst them, (laughs) have not been able to get this right for so many different years as the American people have said, stop illegal immigration. Tammy Baldwin and her political party have sent every conceivable signal to people to come here illegally and to endanger their families as they do so in order to use them as political props. And that pushed beyond that, right? Like, in addition, um, Tammy Baldwin has asked a very simple question by a CNN anchor, and I encourage all your listeners to Google it if they haven't seen it already, but Tammy Baldwin plus legal immigration plus CNN will pull it up. And it's her stuttering and stammering when asked a simple question, if you're so upset about this today, 
what's happening on the border. Why weren't you angry about it underneath the Obama administration when Obama was encouraging people to come here illegally? And the ultimate end goal here for the Democrats is this. One, bring people here legally so they can keep them suspended between legality and illegality in terms of their, their uh, immigration status, and then make them politically dependent on the Democrat Party so that they will vote for them in exchange for whatever the Democrats are offering that day. It doesn't work. It's not a good way to bring people to this country. People should come here legally and pursue citizenship the right way, and this is one of many things we're going to hold Tammy Baldwin to account on. But it's going to take someone from outside the political class to do it, Look, my primary opponent proved today <laughs> that uh, she and her allies are so far inside and down the rabbit hole uh, on the way that they view politics and public policy that they're never going to do anything to change this. It's going to take people from the outside and make it better. Okay, let me ask you the difficult question, though. You, you have, and I, I, get all the, I understand all the conversation about building the wall and trying to deter people from coming in, but tomorrow you have a, a couple that shows up they enter this country illegally, seeking asylum. They've got four kids with them. Do you believe that the country should be detaining that family, holding them together, but detaining them until the asylum application gets gets processed? Or you know, what we used to do is just kind of let them go into the country. What What do you think should happen in the real world? Oh yeah, so I came out on this right away, even before the president uh, issued his executive order. I. I I do back uh, legislation which was sponsored by, uh, put forward by Ted Cruz, which basically says we need to increase the amount of asylum judges available. So if you come to this country seeking asylum, you're guaranteed to get uh, adjudication within two weeks, within 14 days, while families are, are waiting that judgment, they are detained together. And I said this before uh, even the president came out and eventually said the exact same thing. I do believe that legislation should be passed to enshrine that. I, I, I still stand by saying it's important, Jeff, that we send a signal that people not come here illegally, and we should really think about the fact that if you pass through 12, 13 countries on your way to the United States, you may not, in fact, be seeking asylum. You might just simply be looking for an opportunity to come to the United States, mm-hmm. which, again, if you do it legally, I am all for. It's just you can't do it illegally. But let's speed up the process. Let's get more uh, judges in there to adjudicate asylums. Let's and then again, get it done within 14 days. If you are granted asylum, then you are then granted asylum more quickly. If not, you and your family are able to return home more quickly. But either way, families should be detained together. Got it. Let's switch gears. Um, obviously, in in Wisconsin, there there is an, an issue right now involving President Trump and his tariff policies. Um, you know, he he's talked about a trade war, and a number of countries have responded by you know hitting some states particularly hard, including Wisconsin. Where do you stand on the whole question of tariffs? Well, I want a world without tariffs, and here's the key. I, I, am a, I believe in the value of trade. I believe in the power of trade to, to lift up the people of Wisconsin, but also people elsewhere in the world. It's a virtuous cycle, and it's a good thing when done right. Now, let's talk about this. Do we currently have free trade? Well, here's a couple of examples that are very relevant to Wisconsin. Talk to dairy farmers about this all the time. If we ship products, dairy products, from Wisconsin into Canada, Canada has the ability to slap up to a 270% tariff on that. Likewise, let's talk timber, another important industry in our state historically, where the Canadian government, in essence, owns much of the timber stock in that country, can subsidize the uh, production costs of that, and then dump all that timber into American markets and help displace the uh, Wisconsin timber industry. That's not free trade. And I'm really sick and tired of people from the professional political class saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm worried about what the president is doing here. I believe in free trade. Well, I believe in free trade. The president does, too. I've heard him say it. 
The goal is that we actually get to it and that we stop pretending that these professional politicians who sign these deals, whether they're Tammy Baldwin or other folks, uh, did the right thing by the people of Wisconsin. I want Wisconsin producers in both agriculture and manufacturing to be able to sell to markets abroad without, fa- without facing tariffs or subsidized competition from our trade partners. Now, what does that mean? It means we need an executive uh, who's actually willing to call people to account to include our trade partners and say, look, at the end of the day, you all want access to Wisconsin's, or yeah, definitely Wisconsin, but the entire country's consumer market. That's great. We're all for it. But to have access and be able to sell your products here without tariffs in place on you, you got to allow the same thing in your own nation. Good That's enough. totally intelligent and fair. Kevin Nicholson, candidate for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate. The election's coming up in five weeks. I'm sure we'll talk between now and then. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thanks so much, Jeff. Take care, and I look forward to speaking soon. Absolutely. Kevin Nicholson. Uh, again, five weeks from today, I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to talk uh, with uh, State Senator Leah Vukmir, who is Kevin's opponent in the election five weeks from today. Did I mention it's five weeks from today? 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's the final push to get Jesus Aguiar into the M Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Gene Miller has the latest on where the Brewers' first baseman stands. That's coming up at 7.10 a.m. tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. If you're just tuning in, uh, I mean, voting stops tomorrow at 3 o'clock our time. Uh, the Brewers, at, at 12 noon, announced the updated numbers, and, and they're, they're not giving us the exact numbers of votes, but Jesus Aguiar is number one. Um, so he, he's leading right now, but we don't know the difference between one and two or one and five. So bottom line is you want to get out and you want to vote, and you can text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line, 414-799-1620, and we will send you a link to the voting ballot. It is all very, very cool. All right. I I understand that sometimes you you try to find a candidate that might appeal to i don't know certain constituencies and then you find out stuff about them well i, I gotta ask this and i matter of fact i sent out a tweet about this a little while ago i mean the, down in paul ryan's district you know seeing kenosha over to janesville um the the leading democratic challengers a guy named randy Bryce, and he's been around for a while. When Paul Ryan was the Speaker of the House of Representatives, well, he is the Speaker of the House of Representatives, but when people thought he was running, um, Democrats went out and found this character to, he, he's going to be like the, the face of the opposition to Paul Ryan. And um, a lot of out-of-state money started pouring in. A lot of the Hollywood elites started supporting the guy. And, and I mean, he is in some respects, if you are a member of the kook left, I mean, Randy Bryce could be your your guy. He's one of these people who believes Medicare for all, $15 an hour minimum wage, abolishing immigration and customs enforcement agency. I, I mean, seriously, this is, this is, I mean, it, it's sort of like that socialist dream, but it, it's the wacky left. He was never going to beat, you know, Paul Ryan. He, he just wasn't, but it was going to be the face. Okay, we're going to have this. We're going to have this guy who runs against Paul Ryan and, you know, we'll we'll show that at least somebody's going to oppose him. Well, now, the more you start to look at who this Randy Bryce is, the, the less, I think, the less appealing the guy ends up getting, really raising the significant question of is 
Is this the best that you could do? CNN's done a report. The local newspaper's starting to follow up. When we come back in just a couple minutes, we're going to talk about the record of the guy who wants to replace Paul Ryan in Congress and whether or not it gives people pause to vote for him. Stick around. That's coming up. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers continue their road trip from Miami. Jesus Aguiar and the crew take on the Marlins. Our coverage starts at 535 this evening. It is sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. All right. Now, I when when you get some of these press releases from political parties, my, my advice is always to, to kind of take them with a grain of salt because there's a degree of hyperbole. But Randy, here's one that comes out from the National Republican Congressional Committee, Randy Bryce, and he's the guy who raising millions of dollars. He emerged as the, the face of the hardcore kook left. He was going to try to take on Paul Ryan, and now he's running for Congress. Paul Ryan says he's not running for re-election. The most likely GOP candidate is a real, it's a guy named Brian Stile, who's a real class Real class guy. So anyways, here's Randy Bryce. What they say is, Randy Bryce may have the longest rap sheet of any candidate to ever run for Congress in Wisconsin. Who would have known that when Randy Bryce said he has experience with iron, that he was talking about a jail cell? Now, that might be a little bit over the top. But but I, I am kind of stunned by the fact that this is the guy that Democrats have chosen to run for this seat and that they're putting a ton of money into now, it's it's no secret. I mean, it, it, people have known before that uh, this was a guy who was two and a half months delinquent on paying child support to his ex-wife in September of 2015. It took him nearly two years to you know pay it off. But CNN starts poking around into his his arrest record, and here's what they find. Um, April of 1998, so admittedly it's 20 years ago, he's arrested for operating a vehicle under the influence of alcohol, drunken driving in a small rural county in Michigan. All right. Okay, that that, that can happen. Look, I, I understand that can happen to anybody. And I understand some people get mad at me when I say that, but I, I get that, you know, this person can have too many beers at the fish fry or, or whatever. I'm not condoning it, not justifying it, but, you know, it, it can happen. It's what happens afterwards with this character that I find so interesting. All right. He pleads guilty to drunken driving. Okay. All right. Fine. I made a mistake. I'm going to take my medicine. All right. However, after pleading guilty, he fails to appear in court. So he doesn't take his medicine. He fails to show up. And as a result, a warrant gets issued for his arrest. He ultimately, they ultimately catch him. We'll get him in a little bit that in a minute. He ultimately appears a court, in court again in March of 2003, sentenced to 65 days in jail, although the judge suspended the sentence. Um, he got credit for one day time served, paid $850 in fines, orders to complete um, four days of community service. So this is March of 2003. Well, okay, keep in mind what happened is, after after he gets nailed for drunk driving, his license gets suspended. All right, that's one of the things. Um, after having his license suspended following the drunk driving in Michigan, he was arrested three more times for driving with a suspended license and registration in Wisconsin. September of 1998, Bryce was arrested in Milwaukee County, pled no contest to driving with a suspended license, paid a fine. October of 2000, arrested in South Milwaukee for driving with a suspended license and had to pay a bond, um, etc. 
He was arrested under the warrant in February of 2001, held in jail for one day, again, driving, um, okay, arrested on the warrant, and then in January 2003, arrested again in South Milwaukee for operating a vehicle with a suspended license. It was later amended to operating without a license, ended up pleading guilty. Then it goes on. He was arrested a couple times in the last few years for engaging in illegal protests. But that, you know, all of this, and I look back on it again, I, I understand somebody can get nailed for drunk driving and, and it was a while ago, but it's what you do after that. And you start and CNN's finding this out. And, you know, and this is all part, of, I guess, of the public record. It, it's one thing to get caught driving drunk. OK, that's fine. I'm going to plead guilty. I'm going to take my medicine. I'm going to stand up. But what does this guy do? Well, after he pleads guilty to it, he doesn't show up. He just doesn't show up. And then his license is suspended and he keeps driving and he keeps getting arrested over and over and over again. Now, to me, this is where this becomes a character issue. I understand you do something dumb, you do something bad, you do something criminal, you get caught drunk driving. I get that. That, to me, is not necessarily a disqualifying thing under most circumstances. But then the idea that I'm just going to ignore the fact that I don't have a license, I'm going to drive, and I'm going to drive, and I'm going to drive. This is part of the problem, by the way, that we have in the state today, that you have so many people that are out there on the roadways that don't have valid driver's licenses or whatever, and they don't care. They continue driving. They're on the roads. Um, in many cases, you know, if we look at the way things are today, the folks that are out there on the roads probably don't have insurance in many sort of situations. Don't know if this was the case back in 2001 and 2002 and 2003, but this has been a problem forever. People who decide that they don't have licenses or their licenses are suspended or whatever, and they don't need to play by the rules. And this is apparently the guy who wants to be the next congressman. Now, he's not going to win. He, he's not going to win. I'm, I'm sorry. I know that there's a lot of national Democrats who think this seat's going to be a pickup. It, it's not. And especially when you compare it to the guy that's running for the GOP nomination and the person I think who's the most likely GOP candidate, a guy named Brian Stile. But still, I, I, I read about this and the suspended licenses and all these things, and I still think this this was the best guy that you could come up with to run you know, for Paul Ryan's seat or um, – you know, uh, against Paul Ryan? I mean, really? Come on. It's 141. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tell you what, I, I'm not sure there's much to talk about, but I mean, this, the, the other point that I would make about this is the fact that, well, here's Doug in McGuanico. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Doug. Oh, sorry. Hi, Doug. <laughs> um, no, my thing is, listen, the guy and I, I don't, you know how old he is? Uh, I think he's in his, let's see, okay, well, December of 1991, um, was on his 27th birthday, he was arrested for marijuana possession, property damage, trespassing, and theft, although the trespassing and theft charges were dropped. So 27 in 1991, so, you know, I mean, um, old enough to know better. He's in his 50s, yeah. I'm I'm 50, we're contemporary, so I'm 55, so at that age, you know, at the age that this stuff is going on, he's more than old enough to know better. He can no longer say, well, you know, it was yeah. a useful indiscretion. This is, 
This is a full-grown man. Oh, oh, yeah, this is stuff. This is all going on. Okay, so if he's if he's 27 in 1991, the drunk driving happens seven years later, so he's 34. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, right, this is 35, 36, 37 years old. This is, it, it, right, it's not like, hey, I'm a 19-year-old kid. I, I made a mistake. No. Something else I want to bring up. All right, he got caught three times for driving without a license. Now, most of these were Milwaukee-ish? Uh, South Milwaukee, right? South Milwaukee, Milwaukee County, yeah. Okay, so they're not just pulling you over at random for, you know, to find out if you've got a driver's license. I haven't been pulled over at knock on wood. I haven't been pulled over for anything in at least 10, 15 years. And it's not that I don't occasionally, you know, have some transgression, speed a little bit. It's just that what was he doing that he got pulled over to yeah. find out? So what kind of a driver, what kind of idiot drives without a license well, in, I, in a manner to get pulled over to find out, you know, the probably he was speeding. Well, I, again, I, yeah, I mean, I, to yield. yeah, I mean, Doug, thank, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why, don't know why he was pulled over. Just know that he was pulled over, you know, and again, you're, you make an interesting point. It, we're not talking about something somebody did when they were 16 or 17 or, or 18. And I'm actually... And some of you will disagree with me, and I'm going to get the emails on that. I'm actually even willing to cut somebody slack on a first defense drunk driving, and, and I'm not, and I'm not saying it's a good thing. I, I'm just saying that I understand how something like that can happen to someone. And no, I've never been stopped for drunk driving or anything like that. But I understand how something could happen to that. And the question is, what do you do? How do you deal with that? You know, how do you adjust to that? Do you, you know, stand up and man up or woman up, you know, and take the consequences and then learn from it? Or do you plead guilty and then not show up and then have your license suspended and keep driving and driving and driving on that suspended license? Just saying. 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, clean out the prisons? Really? Stick around. It's 147, Jeff Wechter, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Uh, let's see. WTMJ and your Milwaukee Brewers are teaming up to help get Jesus Aguiar into the into the uh, All-Star Game, which is a week from tonight. Text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, and we will send you a link to the voting ballot. Plus, if you text us a picture or screen cap of you voting for Jesus, and I, I've been looking at several of the ones that are coming in. There's some really cute ones. Um, you'll be automatically entered for a chance to win the grand prize, four tickets to a game, the chance to watch batting practice, and you get a chance to meet Jesus himself. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Let me encourage creativity. All right, we, we discussed this issue when it, it was first raised last week and we were broadcasting from Summerfest, but I'm... I'm really glad to see that some of the people in the know are are kind of pushing back on this. In my opinion, the race for governor, to the extent it was ever on, may have ended last week where you have a number of the Democrat challengers to Scott Walker. And it's always going to be this uphill battle. And, and what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to go as far to the left as they can to, you know, mobilize the people on the left to win the primary because you've got, what, eight or nine candidates that are running. And the, the current idea that's moving through the, the hardcore left in Wisconsin is we, we've got too many people in prison. And, and by the way, I, I agree that there I, I wish there weren't as many people in prison as, as there were. 
And I wish that people wouldn't go out and commit crimes. I, I do. But the reality is there, there's a reason why people are, in fact, in prison, and that's because they deserve to be so. But anyhow, a number of the Democratic candidates are, are running on a platform that we spend too much money on on prisons. Right now, we have about almost 24,000 inmates in prison. And so the idea that people are campaigning on, for example, former state representative Kelderoys of Madison, she says, here's what I'm running on. I want to, over the space of four years, I will cut the prison population in half. So we're going to go from 24,000 approximately to 12,000. All right, so we're going to release all these people. Okay, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to bring it in mind. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to um, legalize marijuana. So people who are in the jail, in prison for marijuana, we're going to let them go. Um, we're going to release some inmates early. We're going to close one or more prisons, and we're going to end parole and probation revocations for violating supervision rules. Okay, that, that, that's the idea. Now, here's I, I said this last week. Um, that, that doesn't get you anywhere close to releasing half of the prison population. It, it doesn't, because the truth of the matter is there, there's not that many people who are in, in prison for for marijuana, unless you're a pretty good-sized marijuana dealer or unless you've been convicted on, on multiple occasions. See, here's the bottom line. You have to work to get yourself sent to prison in Wisconsin. How many stories do we have about people who are out there committing crime after crime after crime, and they're on probation or they're on parole or they've been no prosecuted or whatever? You've got to really work to get yourself in prison. For the vast majority of people who are in the Wisconsin prison system, it's one of two categories of things. It's, number one, people who have committed crimes of violence. Um, crimes carried out where they're carrying guns, etc. Or number two, it's people who have committed multiple offenses over a period of time. You know, you, you got caught stealing the car. You got put on probation. You violated probation. You were uh, by, um, I don't know, stealing more cars or burglarizing a house. You got double secret probation. So if you look at the makeup of the prison population, most, not all, but most are, like I say, violent criminals, or would-be career criminals. And I don't know about you, but I don't want those types of people released. As a matter of fact, I think you need to go the opposite direction. I think people need to be safe. And that is, unfortunately, for the time being, I think we need to be putting more people in prison because I care that your car is being stolen. I care that you're walking into the parking lot of the shopping center, your super, uh, at your grocery store, and somebody's sticking a gun in your face to take your purse and to take your, um, your car. Those people belong in prison. So the reality is, just, just in the abstract, you, you can't get rid of half of the people that are sitting in Wisconsin prisons unless number one, you're not going to be putting many new people in the prisons. That's number one. All right. And as, like I say, the same part of the reason we're in the mess we're in, especially around here, is we don't send enough people to jail. And number two, um, just the, the, the simple fact of the matter is you can't release enough people without releasing violent criminals or people who belong in prison. So anyhow, there, there's all this foolishness that, that's going around. Brad Schimmel, the attorney general of the state, finally has, says enough is enough. And, you know, he, he, he does an interview where he said, okay, look, here, 
anybody talking about this isn't serious uh, about this. He says, I'm stunned at the irresponsible proposals that are being made. You know, and he then talks about the fact that, um, what do they estimate? That about 67% of the people who are in prison are in prison for crimes of violence. I mean, that's just it. So this idea that, oh, it's all a bunch of, you know, stoners from the 1970s who are there because they got caught with a couple joints of marijuana, that just isn't reality. I mean, the reality is the people that are in jail belong in jail. Yeah, 67% of inmates have committed at least one violent offense. That's the violent offense, and that, again, doesn't take into account the other people who have committed, you know, multiple offenses where the judges have tried everything and it, it hasn't worked. The reality is I'm all in favor of trying to deter people from committing crimes in the first place, but I'm sorry, you stick a gun in somebody's face, you steal somebody's car, or you steal 20 people's car, you lead the cops on a high-speed chase, you belong in prison. You, you do. And we need to, until we can get a handle on this, and can we, until we can deter people from committing crimes, the primary responsibility, I think, of the DA's offices and the court system should be to protect the rest of us. And all this touchy-feely stuff about, well, gee, we need to release people. Well, okay, that's great until you are, in fact, a victim. I seriously believe that this race for governor might have ended last week when in the rush to the left, you had all these different Democratic candidates embrace this idea of let's open up the doors and let's let people loose. Well, okay, we can have this debate over the next several months about whether this is the type of Wisconsin we want to live in. But from my perspective, once people make that decision to stick the gun in your face or to rob the 7-Eleven or to assault somebody or to steal cars over and over again, once they make that decision, Sorry, they go to prison and they stay there for at least a while. It's 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, we do not go gently into the 2 o'clock hour of the program. The city attorney's office is upset with these bird scooters. Who's producing the show today? You know, you know what bird scooters are? You have seen them around. City attorney's office is going after them. We're going to talk about that. How do you work on average 95 hours a week um, and, and get paid for it? How how can the state allow that to happen? We are going to discuss that and a lot more coming up in the next hour of the program. It is 159. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. First of all, some good news. What an amazing story that the rescue of the soccer team in Thailand, you know, when when that story first broke, you know, the, the 12 kids and the coach, you know, lost in these caves and the monsoon season, season getting ready to start and they're afraid these are flooded. I think I think most people figured, oh, my gosh, this is this story is not going to end well because most times. Those stories don't end well. And then, you know, you, you have the story about how the, the divers found them um, through incredible hard work and they had volunteers from all over the world come. And then they found them. 
but it's not just a question of oh just walking through a cave because you got all these passages that are passages that are flooded and so you have the the navy seals and the seals from all over the world that come out and they figure out a way to get these kids out one seal ends up retired seal ends up losing his life in the effort to do it but finally they figure it out and today if you haven't heard the um the, the last kid and the coach they were they were extricated. They got everybody out, all 12 kids and the coach. Um, I, I understand there's going to be a lot of recriminations and people kind of figuring out, okay, should you charge the coach? The answer to that is no, I, in my opinion. But but the bottom line is it's just it's an incredible success story that all those people were able to be removed safely. All right. I want to talk about something that is going on on the streets of Milwaukee, and I I want to talk about it in sort of a, a bigger picture um, concept. There, there are these these things called bird scooters. Now, Gru, you have heard about bird scooters. Bird scooters uh, arrived in Milwaukee, well, uh, probably just a, a few days ago, but they operate in 20 to 30 other cities. The way it works is this. they are They are motorized scooters, you know? You stand on the, the the board, and they've got you know wheels, and they've got the you've got the handles, and, and you stand. They're they're like I mean, think scooters, except they've got motors on them, and they're capable of going about fifteen miles an hour. So, oh, so Gru says close to twenty. Okay, have you ridden one of these? Okay, well, so they, 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 okay, 15 to 20 miles an hour, whatever. Now, now here's the way the business model works. They, there isn't a place that you go. Like, there's not uh, a rental car company that you go to and rent your car at. The, these things are just, they drop them off all over the city. And what you do is you download the app, you find out where one of these scooters are you then go to the scooter and then you know you you put your information in and 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 you you know you can then ride it they they activate this somehow the deal is i i think it's a dollar to you know get on the thing and then 15 15 cents per minute or something like that whatever and then you you can go and then the way they market this is hey it's a way to get across urban areas if you don't want to walk and you don't want to uber um, it, if you want to ride it across campus or whatever. So they've dropped off about a hundred of these things across the city. And then you might say, well, okay, well, what, what happens when you're done with it? Well, that's part of the beauty of the business model is you just, you just drop it. You know, you, let's say you want to go 12 blocks. So you use it, you ride it 12 blocks. Um, you, you then just drop it and then you kind of check out. And what happens is, then either the next person comes along and rides it, or at the end of the day, in the evening, what the company says is they have people that they go out and they pick up all the different scooters and they service them and then they put them back the, the next day for operation. That's the way the model works. Like I say, they've done this in, in 20 or 30 cities and they've done it in Milwaukee as well. And uh, the people who, who believe in this you know, swear by this because, hey, you know, we're we're always talking about how we, we got to get out of cars. I mean, that was the justification that Tom Barrett had for selling people on the $100 million streetcar that's going to run 2.2 miles, and in my opinion, nobody's going to ride. At least on these scooters, you get to go where you want to go. You pick one up, 
I don't know, at the old federal building and you want to go up to Marquette, well, it's going to take you up to Marquette. So that's the whole notion behind all these different scooters. The city attorney's office, you know, comes in and they have just filed a lawsuit against the company. You know, and their argument is, first of all, these scooters are illegal in Wisconsin. State law defines, you know, what what type of vehicles can be operated on a public right-of-way, like a street or a highway or a sidewalk. And the city attorney's office maintains that these scooters are illegal. It, it, you, you can't, under any circumstance, you, you can't drive these scooters. You can ride a bicycle, but you can't drive these scooters. And the similarity would be, like, you, you, you couldn't do this with motorcycles. And people without a license just jump on and drive a motorcycle. So they argue that these scooters are illegal. And in Milwaukee, you can get fined like $100 for operating one of these. But what the city attorney's office says is that, okay, the person that pays the fine isn't the, the company. It's not Bird. It's the person who is, is going on, who rides the scooters. And they say they don't tell you that, you know, you can get stopped and you can get fined. They also, and I'm looking, I have a copy of the lawsuit in my hands here, um, the Scooters cause harm to the public because they obstruct public right-of-way when users leave them across sidewalks and in the street. Um, they cause a public nuisance because they emit a noise when they are moved without authorization or a power stored within their batteries is depleted to low levels. Um, Bird causes harm to the public by failing to inform their users that it's illegal to operate the scooter on the sidewalk. They fail to inform the users they could be arrested and prosecuted for operating a motor vehicle under the influence of an intoxicant if they offer uh, a motorized scooter on the sidewalk. And they cause harm to the public by failing to ensure that the operators of their scooters possess a valid driver's license. So for all those reasons, the DA's office, the, the city attorney's office says that this, that the company needs to be stopped from putting these different things out there. And I, I think the company is going to perhaps fight the, fight the lawsuit. I don't want to talk about the merits of the particular lawsuit and and whether or not the city attorney's office has a correct interpretation of state law saying that you need these things need to be registered. You just can't because of the motor. My sense is the city attorney's office is probably right. But but I don't I don't want to get hung up on that. What I want to talk about is the broader picture. Are these should these scooters be allowed? I, I don't want to talk about. You know, are they allowed under the terms of the law or not? I want to have a larger discussion. Does this seem like a good thing? Should they be allowed? Should the, regardless of what the law is, should, should the law be changed to permit people to do this? I mean, is this an interesting business model? Hey, you know, you, you want to go through an urban area. You don't want to rent a car. You're not on the bike. You've got 12 blocks to go or whatever. Here, you've got this motorized scooter. Um, let's do it. Should we be able to do this? Not can we, not is it illegal, but but rather, does this sound like a good idea? Or or is the prospect of a couple people grabbing some of these motorized scooters that go 15 or 20 miles an hour and barreling like bats out of you know where down public sidewalks, is that in fact a menace? All right, 414-799-1620, should they be legal? Would you like to see these things 
Come to your community. Come to your town. They do make it easy. I mean, you get done with it. You just drop it where it is, and then the next person, you know, finds it. Would you like to be able to do something like this? Should it be legal? I will tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. But I'm curious as to how you feel. It's 217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, here's a couple texts before we go to the phone calls. Um, Jeff, I was downtown over the weekend, and I, I experienced the scooters. I came across a couple of college kids. They explained how you use them. Um, I'm sorry. I thought it was a great deal. I don't see a problem with it. I think they should um, stay. Here's another text. Would like to see how the scooter navigates the trolley track. No, you wouldn't because I don't think it would work. Emma says, hi, Jeff. I think it's a great idea. We saw something similar to this in Arizona. We used it multiple times throughout our vacation. Very convenient. And again, for the purpose of our discussion, city attorney's office says these things are illegal in Wisconsin. They have to be licensed, and you can't license these particular scooters. I, I I'm taking no position on the legal position they are taking. I'm just asking the question, um, are, does this sound like a good idea? Is this something that maybe to the extent the city attorney's office is right, should the law be changed? 414-799-1620. Let's start with, uh, let's see, Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're first. Hello. Hi, how are you doing today? Real well, thank you. Okay, these scooters, does this sound like a good way to get around urban areas? Yeah, it does. My wife and I were down in Austin um, this year, and they're all over the place down there, and people were using them just to get around. And the the city and county keeps complaining about not having enough money. I'm sure they can find a way to either tax or get some revenue from it, and it'd be a uh, revenue maker for the county and city. Did you you try them yourself, Bob? No, I did not. Um, But we did see a lot of people using them. Uh, We were just uh, we're out of the winter of Wisconsin down in Austin, so we <laughs> right. decided it was easier to walk around and enjoy some of the heat. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I tell you, but I mean, Austin strikes me as like one of the super, you know, of course, you know, it's it's a big college town, you know, with the University of Texas there and all. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, I could see a lot of people using it. I guess the, the flips, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the objections the city attorney has, putting aside the fact that it's illegal, okay? I, Putting aside the fact that you're you're not able to legally operate these things, so and that's their position. So if people get on them, you can get fined a hundred dollars without knowing about it. That that's that's the different issue. Talking about the the complaints they have with them, that's where you know that that these things are in and of themselves a nuisance. I guess I'm not necessarily sold on that. Now, look, I understand if you've got somebody who's you know, driving, like I say, like a bat out of you-know-what, going down a sidewalk trying to run somebody over, that could be an issue. But you have that happen with bicycles, too, you know, the kids that, you know, don't get out of the way or whatever. I Putting aside the are they a violation of state law or not, they actually strike me as being kind of a cool, sort of a cool thing. And, you know, if you can – if you can – Go and rent the bikes. You know, you've, you've got those bikes for rent all over the city. If you can go and do that, I, I don't know why this is a problem. I, I don't. Um, Jim in Franklin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Um, I think we ought to let it go for three to six months on a trial period and see what happens. And I definitely am leaning towards doing it because, um, you know, like you said, uh, with bikes, you know, you have the same issue with bikes speeding down the street or the sidewalk or, and, right. uh, I think it's kind of a millennial thing. You know, we're trying to be a hip and trendy city here and keep millennials and yeah. 
get that kind of buzz going. And, and uh, to me, uh, putting a, the kibosh on this is a constipated kind of attitude. Well, I mean, again, now, now apart from the issue that state law might have to be changed to operate them, and, and so I, I'm sympathetic to that, but, but the bigger picture, the fact that these claims that these are, are nuisances and things, I mean, I, I actually, I, I sort of, I, I think that, they they have a lot of appeal, and I, I like the convenience factor that you can go where you want with them. Unlike the hundred twenty million dollar trolley, you know, if you want to go from Marquette University down to Summerfest, you can ride the thing down there, and you can drop it off, and they'll pick it up. I I think that's a heck of a selling point. Again, like you're talking about for millennials. Yeah, give it a try at least. Right. Again, thanks for thanks for calling. Now, again, I you 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 have. The DA, the, the city attorney's office says it's a violation of state law to operate these things, and if they can't legally be operated on sidewalks and streets, obviously that's something you have to get past. But I, I'm talking about in theory, I don't see these as being, as a practical matter, much different from the various bikes that you can, you know, rent, you know, drive all over. In some respects, this might even be a little bit more convenient because you don't have to return, you don't have to find a bike rack to return these things through. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Um, well, three points. Number one is, I think, yeah, I think they should definitely give it a whirl. The other thing is, I think they need to refine their business model a little bit as far as just the random drop-off stuff. Um, I could see where that, like I was telling your screener, it's, it's kind of like with the Fourth of July parade, with just everybody just you know putting trash on. I mean, it's just things are laying all over the place or whatever. So I mean. Oh, right. Your idea that if somebody just like threw it in the middle of a sidewalk yeah, or something exactly. like that. They yeah. dump it, you know, they dump right. it, whatever. Fine. Somebody will pick it up. That's great. But whatever. You know, that part. And then the um, um, the other part as far as, uh, I mean, I would much rather encounter somebody driving one of those things than, than people staring into their, into their phone walking <laughs> and walking around in the traffic. Well, you know, well right. I mean, I guess I don't see these things. Now... I mean, I, I do see certain liability issues with, I mean, obviously, well, if you're going 15 yeah. or 20 miles an hour on a scooter and you don't know how to operate it, you know, you, you could hurt yourself or whatever. But to me, that's a lawsuit against the company that they need insurance for. I mean, I, I do see here. Th- this is how I would handle this, Dave. I think the city should look at allowing this. Again, you might need a change in state law, but you allow it. You regulate it. And right. then you tax it. To me, that's, well, that's how you handle it. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can think of you know a certain portion of it, and then you know, I mean, it's, it's operators of even bi- I mean bicycles. I mean, hell, I've been damn near killed by <laughs> right. a bicycle a couple of times. So, I mean, it's just you know, it's really right. You know, stupid is a stupid does. So I mean, you know, right? Yeah, you you could you could go right exactly. You could go and you could get one of the the bikes that they have all over town. You could rent it. And you could be driving down the sideway, you know, sidewalk, heading downhill, heading for somebody. I mean, there, or, or you could hurt yourself. I mean, yeah. there, there, there's way. No, thanks to I mean, there, there's ways you can deal with this, but as a concept, and that is what I am talking about. As a concept, I think that this is an interesting concept. Now, I I do appreciate the fact that if it's true that this company just kind of moved in here without any sort of approvals and any sort of regulations and just dumped a bunch on the, the city streets. Well, I, I think there, there are legitimate issues that you have to, that have to be raised with that. Um, in particular, the idea that, you know, people that are picking these up and are using the app might not know that they are violating the law. And the next thing you know, you're the ones that are getting the ticket. So, I mean, I, I do think that there needs to be a degree of regulation, but as a concept, 
I think that, you know, maybe there's a way you could figure out how to exempt these things from some of the laws that are out there. Um, uh, are they, are they really motorcycles? Um, I don't know. Let's talk to Tim on the east side. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Tim. Um, I really like this idea. You know, I think it's a great concept. Right. I'd like to see it develop. I'm worried about the liability issues, though. Who's driving these scooters? Is it somebody who's licensed? Is right. it somebody who's avoiding, uh, maybe he's got a DUI, can't get a driver's license, so he's moving around on this thing? Maybe right. not. But, you know, you can see all kinds of potential problems. Right. So, you know, I, I, I told your screener that I was coming down on the side of not doing this, but as I listened to the discussions, uh, I like the idea, and, and maybe we should let this go and see what happens down the road. But I'd like to see accountability issues. Right, right. which is why, yeah, I, I mean, right, I, I, I agree. Fantastic idea. I yeah. love it. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. Right, I mean, again, just, just, just treating it like this is the Wild West and dumping a bunch of these things onto the street with no regulation especially if they are in violation of state law, you, you can't allow that to go on. So I'm not criticizing the city of Milwaukee for, for trying to enforce the law here. But as a concept, looking forward, and again, I, I think, you know, I think they should have to, I think you have to register these things with the city. You probably, you should definitely have to pay taxes on this. Maybe there needs to be some restriction saying, okay, you can, if the law says you can only operate these on a driver's license, well, you have to provide a valid driver's license when you sign up for the app. But as a concept, I think it's kind of interesting. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, WTMJ, and your Milwaukee Brewers are teaming up to help get Jesus Aguiar into the 2018 MLB All-Star Game. Text the word Jesus, that's J-E-S-U-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620, and we will send you a link to the voting ballot. Plus, if... You text us a picture or screen cap of you voting for Jesus. You'll automatically be entered for a chance to win the grand prize, four tickets to a game, the chance to watch batting practice, and you get to meet Jesus himself. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. And as we have been mentioning all day, uh, the Brewers announced the the order of the fan voting thus far it runs until tomorrow at three o'clock and Jesus Aguiar is number one now there, we we don't know the numbers so we don't know how far ahead he is of of between one and two we don't know how much distance there is between number one and five so get out and vote because I tell you as, as a as a baseball fan as a partial Brewer season ticket holder as a guy who goes to a lot of games. Um, the Brewers are the story in Major League Baseball this year, in my opinion, and Jesus Aguiar is a big part, together with a number of the other players, including Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich and Josh Hader and a whole bunch of other people. Um, Jesus Aguiar is one of the big reasons why the Brewers are where they are. All right. Um, let me just start off by saying that th- they're working in a correctional facility. A jail or a prison is an unpleasant job. It, it just is. Managing a jail or a prison is an unpleasant job. I mean, you're, okay, first of all, you're working around people that society, <laughs> society has decided these people are too dangerous or too antisocial or whatever to be in regular society. So we are taking them off the streets and putting them behind bars. So that's, that's the environment that you come into on a daily basis. They're, in many cases, dangerous, they're antisocial, and they don't want to be there. 
So, I mean, that's your job is is to come in and, and to deal with these people. And you know that you're going to be second-guessed and you're going to be scrutinized constantly. So that's the situation that you are working in. It is very, very difficult. On top of that, people who work in various correctional facilities, they're, they're not they're, – they're not certainly not overpaid. There, there's just no question about it. And I understand since Act 10, particularly when it comes to guards at correctional facilities, they really feel that they've gotten kind of the short end of the stick on, on all this. Would I want to be a prison guard? Absolutely not. Would I want to be a manager? Would I want to run the Department of Corrections? Absolutely not, because nobody calls you up and says you're doing a heck of a job. The only time that phone rings is when, oh, there's a riot in, you know, whatever, and you have to deal with it. So it's it's a very, very difficult job. It's difficult to be an administrator, and it's very, very difficult to be a guard. I get all that. They have a shortage. There is a shortage of prison guards. Um, they have trouble getting people to do it because, candidly, a lot of people who want to go into law enforcement, they're able to find other avenues to get into law enforcement that maybe pay better. And, again, you're not working you know, with, with inmates all the time. So th- there's an issue with overtime as well. So I get how trouble, how difficult that staff, it's staffing is. All right. So I've said all that. Now let's turn to th- this story. I don't know about you, but there is a point in time in a particular work week where I just start to burn out. And I don't do, I don't do a physically demanding job, but I do a mentally taxing job. You know, it, it's just, it, it's, Again, it's, I have a great job, but you, you, it kind of, it, it's mentally taxing. It's not physically taxing. And I can remember even back, you know, 15, 20 years ago when sometimes I'd be doing six days a week, sometimes more. One day, for some reason, I ended up doing like 12 or 13 days in a row. And I tell you, uh, by, by the end of that 12th or 13th day, even just doing a two or three or four hour radio show, I was burned out. I, I just, I just was. And I think, you know, you, you find that. I know there's a lot of people that work really hard, but the truth is, after a certain number of hours, 40, 50, 60 hours in a given week, you kind of burn out. Which brings me to the story in the Journal Sentinel today. Here's the headline. A Wisconsin worker nearly tripled his pay last year by working 95 hours a week. 95 hours a week. All right, and it deals with the guy who was, he's a now retired correctional officer who worked at one of the correctional facilities. Get this, he worked an average of 95 hours a week. Now that's an average of 95 hours a week. So that presumably means that some weeks he worked 70, but other weeks he worked 110 or 120. An average of 95 hours a week. This allowed him to earn nearly $175,000 in 2017, more than the governor, more than the correction secretary, more than the warden who runs his prison. The long hours also tripled his base pay and boosted his pension. Then the story goes on to talk about how there are like 540 state workers who amassed more than $20,000 in, in overtime. But this is a situation where the guy, um, let's see, his 2017 pay was more than twice as much as the $80,000 he made in 2016 and the $72,000 he made in 2015. He logged almost 
5,000 hours last year, more than twice as much as a typical worker. About a quarter of those hours were for night shift. He worked more than 13.5 hours a day, seven days a week for the year, plus he got five weeks of vacation and um, other leave. He made $26 an hour on his regular shifts, $39 an hour during overtime shifts. He made $61,000 in base pay and nearly $114,000 in overtime. And, of course, since it was the last year before the guy retired, um, that, that jacked up his base compensation level, which dramatically increased the amount he was getting in a pension. All right. Now, l- let me just be real clear about where I'm going with this topic. I don't fault the guy necessarily for putting in for for the overtime right I, I don't at the same time and even appreciating prison you know staffing crises it to me is absolutely ridiculous that anybody in management would allow somebody to work on average 13 and a half hours a day seven days a week That, to me, is an example of bad management. Nobody can effectively work that many hours. You just can't. And I understand that the guy was volunteering and probably scooping up all the overtime, and I don't fault him. I mean, if he wanted to get paid and do this, this is fine. But to me, this is just gross mismanagement to allow something like this to happen. First of all, I don't care who you are, even if you're Superman, you're not going to be able to be effective doing your job, working 95 hours a week on average every week. People burn out. You can't be effective. Number two, allowing somebody to rack up this much in overtime, one person, shows to me that you know, you're know you not paying attention or you don't care about where taxpayer dollars are going. So I don't fault the employee. He puts in for overtime, and they give it to him. My guess is they were very glad to have somebody who's willing to take these shifts, but you can't have people working on average 95 hours a week. No employer, I think, outside the state of Wisconsin would allow somebody to do that. You just wouldn't. And, and, and maybe, I mean, and again, maybe there is a week where, you know, you, you know, the, the sky is falling. And, you know, so maybe for a week you got to work. 60 hours a week or 70 hours a week or 80 hours a week. Okay, maybe that happens from time to time. But the notion that you're going to work on average 13 hours a day, seven days a week, that to me, it's bad management. They shouldn't have allowed him to do it. He couldn't have been performing at an optimum level. And it does, even in the face of a prison guard shortage, makes you wonder what's going on and who's minding the store in the Department of Corrections. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, might be the greatest employee in the world. Can anybody work 95 hours a week, 52 weeks out of Well, he had five weeks of vacation. 95 hours a week, 47 weeks out of the year? 414-799-1620. And how can a manager schedule that? We discuss next. It's 245. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the story is that there's one employee at the Department of Correction who worked on average 
95 hours a week. And I mean, I just think that that's crazy. I'm not faulting the employee. He signs up for overtime, made, you know, a fortune doing that, you know, jacked up his pension rate. That That's fine. My beef is with managers that would allow somebody to work that many hours. The reality is you, you can't be effective working 95 hours a week for 47 weeks um you know, a, a year, 414-799-1620. Let's start with, uh, let's see, Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, I'm, this is very ironic because I'm sitting in a parking lot right now. I start working about 12 minutes my shift. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm using a fake name because I really, you know, I don't really want my name out there. But what I'm about to tell you is absolutely 100% true. The revolving door of uh, corrections officers that come and go is continuous, nonstop, very, very fast. It is, and why? Number one, it's a dangerous job depending on your facility that you work at. It can be very dangerous at certain facilities, um, and the it's, it is shift work. There is first, second, and third shift, so you might not be put on a shift that you particularly like, especially if you're a family person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most importantly, the pay sucks. I mean, the pay mm-hmm. is just not very good at all. And now, I'm thinking this guy was making. I think at the end, this was an, he was making twenty six dollars an hour, but that he'd probably he'd been there forever. So um, that's certainly not starting pay. Sure, it's not starting pay, but he has to fill a position. You can't just it's it's an emergent it's not an emergency uh, department, but it's a department that has to be filled. We don't close on holidays. We mm-hmm. don't you know we have to be open twenty four seven. You have to fill certain positions, and there's. Rules and regulations that specify you have to have a certain amount of guards or corrections officers in a general population, whatever that population may be, um, and they have to be filled. And if there's a revolving door of officers just constantly coming and going because you know it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous environment, unpleasant situation, um, unpleasant working very, conditions. Yep. Yeah, very thankless job. I mean, very thankless job. I mean, you are dealing with the scum of the, yeah. you know, your society that they don't want to deal with anymore. And you have to deal with them on a daily basis. I'm about ready to go in and I'm already, I'm already preparing. I tell my wife before I go to work and I tell her this every day, see you, honey, love you. I'm going to the fight club because I have broken up and been in the middle of so many fights, so many riots, so many cell flooding. I mean, if I could take a camera in here and show you what we do, which I wish, I wish to God we could, but we can't, then there would be an uprising in our community. You would not believe what goes on in these. In these so, places. so what is so what is Stephen? I asked this earlier. What, what is the answer? Because I ninety nobody can work ninety five hours a week effectively, week after week. You can maybe do it for a week, um, and and from a cost perspective, you know, it costs the taxpayers a fortune. So, what do we need to do? Up the starting salary, up the pay for corrections guards. I think that's the only option. And there are a lot of guys that I work with, a lot of guys and gals that I work with that do. It is the most overtime I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe what these people are putting in uh, on a weekly basis. However, again, you know, all those factors that go into this and the pay being so low, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, honestly, I don't blame the guy that's taken overtime because I've seen it. I've experienced it personally, and it's offered almost daily to us. Right. I, I, I can expect my senior, uh, senior officers to offer us overtime tonight, um, and somebody will jump on top of it. Um, it's almost a daily thing. So I think with the pay being so low, and I don't know what the, the statistics are for Wisconsin, but I know the Department of Corrections, for Wisconsin Department of Corrections, the starting the starting pay is 16 bucks an hour. Right. And, well, you, and you can so make you, more. My, my guess is, and I, I, I used to know this off the top of my head, but my guess is if if you're willing to work in jails, you can make more than that 
um, working in various county jails across the state. County jails, uh, they do. They it just depends on the county right. that you're in. And again, I don't know the exact average, but it's somewhere ballpark. Probably a pretty good guess would be somewhere around twenty bucks an hour, nineteen twenty bucks an hour. Um, and again, I, I think the only way that you're going to keep people here. Uh, instead of using it as a stepping stool to go get into law enforcement or, you know, try right. to go somewhere else, is to just up their hourly pay. So, I mean, lifeguards almost make as much as corrections officers in the state of Wisconsin. Right. No, th- thanks for calling. And again, I, I want everybody hearing that this is not a bashing this particular corrections guard, but but this to me is a story which opens up this dialogue because I, I, I don't think you can, I don't think anybody can effectively work these type of, of, of hours. You, you can't 80, 90 hours a week, week after week after week. You, you cannot, you're not doing your job. You, you just, you just can't. And I, I say that about pretty much any job that's out there. Plus, of course, when you're racking up this huge amount of overtime, it, it's costing the employer. In this case, we are the employer. It's costing people a fortune as well. So if, if that means you, ha- you have to, you know, pay more for for people for the entry level people, but you got to get control of the overtime. You you do now. The other thing I think of from a management perspective is I don't see how you can keep giving the same guy overtime. You know, if 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 you have to make it mandatory and spread it around, so you have you know people working fifty hours a week, you know, and getting ten hours of overtime as, as opposed to one guy, because that that one guy can't be doing the job appropriately when you're working, if you're working on average 95 hours a week. It's just, in my opinion at least, it's not physically possible. And I'm not saying he did anything wrong. If he's offered the overtime and he takes it, you know, great. I mean, but, you know, management, I don't think, can offer the same person. I think at some point in time, you'd want to be watching this saying, well, we'll look at Frank here. You know, Frank's you know, he, he's been working 90 hours a week. You know, maybe we need to pay attention to this. I'm sorry. We've got jam phone lines, including a lot of people who um, work in the prison system. Maybe we'll revisit this in the next day or so. Again, it's not bashing the guy who took the overtime. I, I'm bashing, I guess, a system that requires it and managers who give this much overtime to one person who's willing to do it. It costs the taxpayers a lot of money, and the guy couldn't have been performing at the top of his ability. He just, in my opinion, couldn't. 254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.